Um, are you ready for God's word? Kicking off 2020 with a word from God. Uh, why don't you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And let me just tell you where the burden for this series. I'm beginning a message series, a series of messages this weekend called Points of Passion. Points of Passion. Let me tell you where everything that I, that I teach starts with, I, I, I don't know another word to, to call it except a burden. And what, it, what I feel like is I feel like God's up there like, I really want them to know this. And so then I, I, as I spend time with God, I'm like, I really want them to know it too. And then we talk about how I could share that with you in a way that you would know what he wants you to know that now I want you to know. Does that make sense? And, and so where this whole series came from, I was reading in Psalm, Psalm 69, verse nine, David says, the zeal for your house has consumed me. One version says, it's eaten me up. David was eaten up with something, and that was passion for the house of God. Passion for the house of God. And I thought about, God, if there's anything we need to be passionate about, because we are passionate about things. We are passionate about who is the coach of the Cowboys. All the Eagles fans were in the 9 or the 11 because they're going to be passionate about the game this afternoon. Right? And so we get, here's, let me tell you, let me tell you something. If you're like, I'm just not that emotional, I'm just not, no, 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 here's the thing. You're passionate, but we actually steward and direct our passion. And it is possible to have our passion in the wrong place. And David said, I want my passion in the house of God. And I can tell you something right now. You cannot tell me you're passionate about God and not be passionate about his house. Can't, can't do it, can't separate it. And so I just thought, God, I want us to be passionate about the things of God. Just like we talked about in communion today, I want us to be passionate about what you did on the cross and not get over being saved. I want us to be, and so, so I, I started writing this series about just different points of passion where our passion should be directed. And so I, I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, what's going on in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy actually means like the second giving or the second law. And, and so essentially, timeline, where are we at? Well, um, Egypt was enslaved to, or, or Israel was slaves to Egypt, right? So most of you remember this. You may remember the Bible story, or you may remember Charlton Heston. But either way, Egypt... Um, Israel had fled to Egypt in a famine and then they had increased and prospered and, he, and the Egyptians got scared and made Israel their slaves. And then God said, I'm going to deliver them. He sends Moses. Moses delivers them, brings them out, right? They cross the Red Sea and then they come to the place of this promised land, this place of promise that God had promised them. And when they get there, they send 12 spies into the land, one from each tribe, but 10 of them come back and say, mm, there's giants in the land. We're out. And so they end up, because they disobeyed by not believing, so God views not believing and disobedience as the same thing. Um, and so they disobeyed, that's Hebrews 4. They disobeyed by not believing, then God took them back into the wilderness where basically they just kind of walked in a circle till a generation died and a new generation was raised up. And now they're, they're in the plains of Moab, just short of this promised land, just short of the, of, of the Jordan River. And Moses is not going to be able to lead them into the promised land because he disobeyed God because he, he struck a rock when God told him to speak to a rock. Aren't you glad we're under grace? Because I've done a lot worse than hitting a rock. Um, and so he's not going to be able to go. So, so he is now talking to a new generation of Israelites and he's trying to get through to them some, some very important things. And so Deuteronomy, the whole book takes place over about 40 days. Uh, and 30 days of it is grieving because God actually takes Moses, performs, per, takes him and performs the funeral and buries him and no one knows where, right? And Joshua takes over. So, so this whole book is, is pretty short timeline wise, but most of it is Moses' speech or actually speeches or talks that he's given to Israel to tell them the importance of obeying the word of God. And so the first four chapters, he's explaining, here's what happens when you don't obey the word of God. So please obey the word of God. 
And then, and then where we're reading, starting in verse chapter five, he reiterates the law, the standard of God, the statutes of God, and again says, make sure you do everything God says. And then, he, and then he gets to, because here's the problem, and this is where he comes to. The problem is, is my concern, my fear is that if God prospers you into this promise, you'll leave God. That once God blesses you and gives you what he's promised, then, then the promise will actually take you away from the promiser. And you won't seek God and you won't obey God. And, and can I just be honest with you? This is the difference between mature believers and immature believers. Let me tell you the difference. Mature believers will seek God continually in the times of prosperity just the same way they would seek God in the times of lack. And immature believers, when there's times of lack, they seek God more. And when they prosper, they seek God less. That's how you know if you're mature or not. And he's saying when God prospers, you need to be mature to keep living by his word, to keep pursuing him. Like this, this is his appeal to them that God's bringing in this promise. You got you to live by the word of God. And so that's what I want to talk about Romans. I'm sorry, Romans. We'll probably hit a Romans verse at some point, but Deuteronomy 8 is where we're going to start. Deuteronomy 8, and this is, this is um, Moses. He says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and you may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on an oath to your answers. Can you, can you just look at that just real quick? Look at verse one. Be careful. Like, remember, he's warning them. Be careful. Because the promise can take you away. Right? Sometimes, I hate to say it, sometimes God will let us hit a situation of desperation because it's the only way to get us to draw near to him. Be careful. To follow every command. How many commands? Every command. Not just the ones I like. Not just the ones I know. Listen to me. Ignorance can cost you promise. Every command. Ignorance can cost you promise. So he said, I want you to know every command. Why? Because look at this, look at this. I want you to live. I want you to increase. I want you to enter and I want you to possess. Now that'd be a good message in and of itself. Why does God want me to know his word? Because he wants me to increase, right? He wants me to live. He wants me to enter and he wants me to possess everything he paid for. <clears throat> Verse two. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what's in your heart. God tests you so he knows what's in your heart. But truthfully, God tests you because that's usually how you find out what's in your heart. Kind of like when you hit your thumb, you'll find out what's in your heart. Um, bless the Lord. Whether or not you would keep his commands. Now, verse three is where we're going to spend our time. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors has known, had known to teach you, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Um, I call this message hanging on every word, hanging on every word. Can we pray together? Father, come now. Speak by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, because we have not gathered today um, out of religious tradition. God, we have gathered today to hear you, to be in your presence and to be transformed by your word, by your spirit. So God, speak, help us to hear. And God, our prayer is that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Now bread, you had to understand, bread was pretty important to the Israelites. Because for them, bread was the same as saying food. 
right? For me, it's peanut butter. Peanut butter food, same thing. How many Southerners are here? All right, how many of you were raised where if there wasn't bread, you weren't having a meal? Right, yeah, that's a Southern thing, right? Bread and sweet tea. And until, until the tea is so sweet you can pour it over your pancakes or until we have some bread, we're not having a meal. I don't know what this is, right? And it, it can be any form of bread. It can be white bread. It can be wheat bread. It can be a roll. It can be a biscuit. It can be cornbread. It can be sweet cornbread or demon-possessed cornbread. How many just wrote, how many you'd like your cornbread that's not sweet? I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you right now. Because you can't crumble that up in your milk. But you get you some sweet cornbread. I remember growing up, that was a treat because it's like having cake with your meal. And I like cake. And so just like for a lot of us, it's not a meal unless there's some sort of bread. But for the Israelites, more so than that, bread, it was the mainstay. It was, it was, it was the foundation, if you will. It was, it was the largest part of the meal was the bread. In fact, they didn't have meat a lot. Now, you got to think they were a generation of slaves. They didn't have meat in Egypt, right? Then they'd been in the wilderness and God did give them quail. I mean, God gave them some things, but they didn't have meat for every meal. In fact, the first thing God gives them is manna, which was bread because to them, bread was the meal. Are you with me? So, so when Moses says, or God says, man can't live by bread alone, they're like, hold up. Yes, we can. We have been living by bread alone. Bread is the meal. And he's like, yeah, but there's something more important than bread. Here's what he's actually saying. There is something more important than food. I don't know about y'all, but I like food. I like it a lot. I do. But listen to me. Very, listen to me. There's something more important than food. And it's the Word of God. Three things. Write this down. Three, three things that we'll pull out of this text and we'll talk about together. You can't step into God's will until you stand in, in God's Word. Let's do it here. You cannot step into God's will. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't know if I want to step into the will of God. Let me help you with that. According to the Bible, God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's three things your will is not. Quick poll. How many have tried it your way? Dr. Phil question. How'd that work out for you? Because my will is not good. Because it is based on my limited understanding. My will many times is not pleasing. It won't please God. And most of the time, I won't even be happy with it. And I can promise you, if the other two are questionable, my will is not perfect. How do you know? I've tried it. Have you tried your will? So God has a will for you. And that will is good and pleasing and perfect. But listen to me. Listen to me. The only way to step into his will, good, pleasing, and perfect, is to stand in his word. His word is the way to his will. Right? Look at this. We read it, but but look at this again, verse, verse one. Be careful, beware, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today that you may live and increase and enter and possess the promise. Be be careful. Now here's the principle you need to understand about God, and this is where God is different than you, and God is different than me. God's word, or let me say it this way. My words express my will. Let me show you what I mean. Y'all get in the car, we're going to get ice cream. 
When I said that, nothing happened, but I expressed what I'd like to happen. Are you with me? My words express my will. God's words execute his will. God said, let there be light. And there was light and it was what? Good. Why? Because his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Are you with me? So God speaks a language, listen, not of English. God speaks, <laughs> God speaks a language of reality in that when God speaks, what he just said becomes real. It manifests physically. Isaiah 55, uh, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. There's a lot in that verse. Verse 11. So my word shall be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish my purpose and it will succeed in the thing for which it was sent. Do you see that? He spoke and he said, I wasn't expressing, I was executing, I was creating, I was taking care of something. So when God speaks, his word executes his will, it doesn't just express his will. Are you with me? His word is more powerful than your words. It expresses his will, but it executes it. And this is what I want you to see Moses is saying. There is a correlation, a tight connection between the word of God and success. Between the word of God and winning. Between the word of God and victory. He said, be careful to obey all the commands. Why? Because then you can increase. Then you can live. Then you can possess. Right? So, so there's a correlation, a tight connection between God's word, right? And God's will. And God's will is winning. God's will is victory. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? I want you to get this. That, that it's, it's God's word is how you win, Joshua 1.8. Yeah. Joshua 1.8 Joshua says, This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but I'll meditate therein day and night, and I'll be careful to do all that is written in it, for then, when, then, when then, this book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but I'll meditate in it day and night. So I'll be careful to do all according that is written in it. And then, when then? When I've put it in my mouth, put it in my heart, put it in my mind. When I meditate, when it doesn't depart, it didn't say when it doesn't depart the shelf. Let this book of the law not depart from your shelf. No, please, let it depart from your shelf. And let it depart into your heart. It says, let it not depart out of your mouth. For then, look at this, you will. Who will? You will. Some of you are waiting for God to do something for you that his word wants to do through you. Because it doesn't say, then God will make you. No, then you will. Why? Because his word's in you then you will make your way prosperous. And then you'll have, please understand this. Please understand this. This scripture stuff, it's for more than church. Hear me on this one. Believe it or not, this is, listen, this is not a religious handbook on how to have church for religious people who want to be more religious about their religiosity. This is the constitution of a kingdom that was given us by a king through the hands of 40 anointed men to explain to us how to live heaven on earth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so here's what I'm telling you. You're like, well, my marriage is a mess. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do everything that's written in it. And then will you make your way? Well, my business is going bankrupt. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night. Well, I, I'm, I'm sick and I'm having health problems. This book of the law shall not depart out of you. Well, we're, we got problems in our family. This book of the law. My kids are acting up. This book of the law. I'm feeling depressed. This book of the law. I'm sick. I'm tired. This book of the law shall not not depart out of your mouth. 
The word of God is how you win. I understand you can ask Alexa. But you could ask God. I got to Google what to do. Before there was Google, there was God. I want you to understand this. You understand every victory you see in the Bible was tied to a word from God. You understand? Think about it. Joshua's writing this, Joshua 1 8, but he's about to go into battle. I remember Joshua's like, I, here's Joshua's thing. Had a big win, made it across the Jordan without dying. But now I've got, I've got the children of slaves who were raised in the wilderness. And we're facing one of the greatest fortified cities in this promised land called Jericho. And it is tightly shut up, Joshua 6 says. And I don't know if you know this, but they weren't trained soldiers. They had spoons and sticks. And Joshua goes, listen, he goes and gets on his face before God. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And, and a man appears to him who, who says he's the commander of the Lord's army. Some people think that's Jesus, so Christophany, Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. Some people think it's an angel, but he said, I, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua asked a very important question. Are you for us or them? And he said, no. <laughs> Are you for them or us? Nope. Because here's the thing. God won't get on your side, but you can get on his. He said, I'm on my side and you can join my side or you can stay on your side. And God, he's, and Joshua said, I'm going to get on your side because Joshua's smart. And God speaks to Joshua and gives him the strategy. Now you got to think about, here's a word from God and here's a strategy. You got to think about this. Joshua goes back and says, guys, I know what we're going to do. Now Joshua is new at commanding Israel. Moses is dead. And Joshua's plan is, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march around that city six days while being real quiet. And on the seventh day, we're going to march around it six times being real quiet. And then on the seventh time, we're going to go around. Everybody's going to make a lot of noise. See, if I'd been there, I'd been like, I got questions. <laughs> do we get guns? <laughs> But I want you to understand that victory was won by the word of God and God's strategy typically doesn't look like yours. Ask Gideon. The Midianites are pillaging and destroying Israel. And every time there was a crop, they would come into Israel and just wipe the crop out. And Gideon is hiding from the Midianites. And God shows up and says, great man of valor. You know why you need a word from God? Because if you don't have one, you'll spend your life hiding from the battle God called you to win. It was better than you clap, but that's okay. I'm a big boy. And God says, I want you to lead them. And so Gideon, he sends out a, a DM or Instagram, makes a post on Instagram. Hey, I need everybody that's willing to fight. 32,000 men show up. Ooh, that sounds good. Except the Midianites had 135,000. How many of you know he's got about one-fifth of what they've got? And then God says, too many people. Too many people. It's one to five. God says, Gideon, just tell them if they're scared, they can go to the house. <clears throat> I think Gideon's thinking, I won't go to the house. I think that's what he was thinking. If you're scared, you can go to the house. 22,000 people headed for the house. Now I've got 10,000 people. They've got 135,000 people. It went from like one to five to one to 14. And God says, too many people. Have them get something to drink. They go down and, and, and the ones who, who drank with their faces in the water, he said, send them home. 9,700 of them went home. And now we have 300. And God said, this will do. 
Here's what you need to know. It's why you live from the word of God. Because you can't win in your strength, but you can win with his word. And, and so then Gideon said, guys, I think about this. The qualification for his army. Say you're not scared and drink water out of your hand. Yep, you'll work. And be breathing, I guess. I'm not even sure that was required. And then Gideon said, guys, I got a great plan. And they're like, is this where we get the bazookas? And he said, no, here's a candle and a clay pot and a horn. Y'all have fun. And they won. Because why? They had a word from God. And so many times we're trying to come up with a strategy that will work when God has a word that will win. When I read this verse, though, there are a couple words that stood out. Man shall not live by bread alone. But then I saw this by every word, every word. And I realized that if I missed a word, I might miss something God wanted to do. Every word, not just some words. And then I thought, not just the words I like, not just the words I agree with. Can I tell you one of my biggest concerns as a pastor is that we, we somehow, it's like there, there's an attack on the word of God. I'm probably going to do a series just on the Bible, just on the word of God. Because there's an attack on the word of God where we are relegating it to divine suggestion. It's like a divine literary work, kind of like, you know, Shakespeare or something. And there are believers who, who will look at what the word of God says and act as though we get to weigh and decide if, if that's really what it means or what it really means to us. And this is, listen to me, I want you to hear me. This is a concern. And you may say, no, I'd never do that. But we do because we know the word of God and choose to live a different way. We know what God's word says about marriage, sexuality, sex, dating, but we choose to do it the way of culture because that seems more acceptable than the word of God. It's okay. I didn't expect to get a lot of excitement right here. But this is something we need to talk about that, listen, it's like, well, that's not the way I interpret the Bible. Listen to me. You don't interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets you. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, spirit, dividing asunder the soul and spirit, cutting down to the joints of Mars. It is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is supposed to translate and the word of God is supposed to interpret you. You don't interpret it. God's truth is not up for your discussion. It's not up for your vote on whether it's good or true or not. It is the word of God. It will never pass away. It will never change. It will stand forever. And God has asked us to live according to his word because he will not bless your life according to your word, but he will bless it according to his word. It's just not the way I see the Bible. Listen to me. And people are like, well, you know, the Bible is scientifically impossible for a man to live in the belly of a whale. And so we just have to interpret it as good literary. And there's value. Listen to me. It's scientifically impossible for a man to walk on water or turn water into wine. It's scientifically impossible for a virgin to conceive and have a child. And it is scientifically impossible for a man to die for three days, go into the pit of hell and come out with the keys to death, hell and the grave and rise again and be seen by 500 people. That doesn't prove the Bible's not real. That proves God is real. Are you with me? Okay, well, I'm just a little excited about that. I just get so tired of people who know the word of God and say, well, it's just not the way I see it. I don't care how you see it. Well, I don't understand. Well, if you got to understand everything, you've got to be God. Maybe God should worship you since you understand everything. All right. Well, <clears throat> the point was, and if God's word isn't powerful, then why in the world did Jesus use the word of God to overcome Satan in the wilderness? It is written. It is written. It is written. He quotes from Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written. Listen, quote Shakespeare the next time enemies tormenting your family and see if that works for you. Okay, well, 
point to. Um, bread sustains your body, but God's word sustains your being. Bread sustains your body, but God's word. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever thought about this. We are sustained by the word of God. We're sustained by it. Now, I'll give you two applications. This number one, the word of God is spiritual food. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about this, what's happening in Deuteronomy. And he talks about the Exodus and he says he likens manna to spiritual food. Spiritual food. And so the word of God actually feeds us spiritually. Jesus said, my words are, are uh, light or my words are truth and they are life. Um, he says this way, John 6, 63, I'll read it from my notes. It says, is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. And God's word nourishes our spirit. I was thinking about the fast and, and my family will start asking what my schedule is and what I'm going to fast because they know something you may not know. And that is without food, I become a South Pole elf. I'm, I'm very, I get hangry. I do. And, and, and I get grumpy because my blood sugar gets low and my mind gets a little foggy and I'm just not myself. And they like to know, like, could you text us when you're fasting so we can hide, you know? And, and, um, <laughs> and so they were asking me, and Julie, in fact, was saying, what's your schedule? Well, I knew she wasn't asking. Well, she wanted to know, when are you going to be grumpy? And I thought about when I don't, when I don't eat, I, my thoughts get fuzzy. My mind gets unclear and I get weak and I get cranky and I don't have grace. I don't have patience. And I thought, I wonder if that's what happens when we don't eat spiritually. Does our mind get a little fuzzy because we can't discern the wills and the the will and the way of God? And it's not being renewed by the word of God. Do, do we get weak in, in our spirit, right? Do, do we get cranky and less full of grace and love for the people around us? I'm just saying we, we need God's word to, to nourish our spirits. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Just like God's word sustains us spiritually, God's word sustains us physically, Look at this, Proverbs 4, verse 20. It says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Look at this, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. They are health to one's whole body body. Job said it this way, I have treasured your word above that of my natural food. I think Job understood what Solomon is telling us here, that God's word sustains us physically, spiritually, but God's word also sustains us physically, right? Psalm 107 says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. What delivered them from their destructions? His word, what healed their physical body. We need the word of God. It sustains our being. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just our spirits, but it's our being. It, it, it sustains us. And, and I got to thinking about this because um, manna was given every day. In fact, if you read all of John 6, you'll find that Jesus compares himself to the manna saying, I'm the true bread that came from heaven. Essentially, I'm the manna, right? Um, and by the way, he was also the word. So the word is also the bread. Are you with me? God's word sustains us. But I thought about how manna was given every day. How manna was given every day. And, and I thought about this. I thought about every word. Every word, manna was given every day. Because Moses is co connecting manna and the word of God. And manna was given every day. And I thought, could it be, and I believe it is, that God has a fresh word for every day. Yeah. Amen. He has a word for you for every day. I don't know about this. I, I don't know about y'all, but I try to eat most every day. 
usually multiple times. And sometimes I just eat one meal that starts from when I get up to when I go to bed because I like to graze. Are you with me? How many grazers do we have? It's like, just set it out, baby. Buffet, here we go. I'll just snack all day long and be happy. Right? And it's hard because January came, I had to set my scale back up 10 pounds. I'd set it back 10 pounds, but I had to move it up 10 pounds. So now reality has just struck, so I can't graze anymore. But anyways, the point is that, that you can't live on one meal a week. You need fresh bread every day. And here's what's more than that. God has fresh bread for you every day. And it will sustain your being. All right, third thing. Here's the third thing. Um, God's word reveals his promise, but his voice reveals his person. His word reveals his promise. But his voice revealed, when, when I was praying about this, I thought, oh, I want, I want people to live by the word of God. By the way, can I just say this? How many of you eat comfort food? Can I help you something? This is comfort food. Because when you read it, the comforter comes. Are you with me? It's, God invented comfort food, by the way. And there's no calories in it. Just, <laughs> woohoo, I heard some people, oh, praise God. Glory, Jesus. <laughs> but God's word reveals his promise, but, but, but his voice reveals his person. And, and here's what I want you, just like I want you to understand we are sustained by the word of God. I want you to understand that God, uh, that, 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 that we walk in the will of God because of the word of God and we're sustained by the word of God. But I want you to understand there's something a little deeper. And that is that God just doesn't want you to know his word. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to hear his voice. Listen to these. Uh, this, this is Deuteronomy 3. It says, I was reading this. It said, you know, he did this to teach you that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word, look at this, that proceeds out of the mouth. Not just every word from God, but he wanted you to hear it coming out of his mouth. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth. Well, what comes out of the mouth? The voice. That God actually wants, listen, this is the promise of the new covenant. It's that, that we are friends of God and we can hear his voice. Look at this. Uh, Hebrews 3.15 says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. John 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Revelation 3.20 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice. And opens the door, I will come into him and he will eat with, and I will eat with him and he with me. And I thought about the, as a pastor, I've had a lot of people, you know, I want to hear God's voice and I want to hear God's voice too. And I was thinking, what drives us to, to the desire or the necessity of hearing God's voice so many times is desperation. And usually when we want to hear God's voice, we need, we need direction. Isn't that true? Like, I need to hear God because I need direction. And what I realized was so many times we want to hear God because we want direction. But God wants to speak because he wants connection. God wants to be known. He wants to, to reveal himself to us. Think about this. Uh, Jesus said, I no longer call you, this John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants, but friends, because a, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Um, but I've called you friends because everything that I've heard I've made known. That's revealed. So here's what he's saying. God wanted me to reveal what he was speaking. He wanted you to hear him. That's why we're friends. And you need to understand that, that God wants a personal relationship with you. Tell me how many personal relationships you have with people you don't talk to. Or better yet, you have personal relationships with people that don't talk to you. It seems like that would be impossible to have a personal relationship with someone that they don't talk to you. You don't hear them and they don't hear you. That wouldn't be a personal relationship. 
Are you with me? You can know about someone. I laugh. My daughter follows everybody on Instagram. Like one day we're talking. There's <laughs> no lie. My daughter does not play basketball. She's, she's athletic, but she doesn't play basketball. And we're, we're talking one day. She's like, I said something about LeBron James. I said, well, you may not know who that is. She said, I follow LeBron James on Instagram. I'm like, you follow LeBron James? Who is LeBron James? He plays basketball. How do you know that? He had a pair of shoes I liked. <laughs> she follows everybody on Instagram. But she doesn't have a personal relationship with LeBron James. She knows who he is, and she knows what he posts. And my concern is some people think that's having a personal relationship with God because I know who he is, and I know what he posts. But God, you have to understand, God wants a personal relationship with you. Um, and, and listen to me very carefully. God wants you to hear him. And listen, if you want to learn to hear God, you can. I'll give you the secret of this. If you want to learn to distinguish his voice, then you must deepen your relationship with him. My, my dad, my father's in this service. And when my dad calls, he typically says, hey. And when I answer the phone and I hear him on the other line or on the other or on the line, I've never one time when he says, hey, I say, who's this? Dad. Dad who? <laughs> Do you know why? Because for 40 years, I've learned to listen to his voice. Now, you may say, well, you got caller ID. Listen to me, kids. Let me help you something. There was a day <laughs> when we had to answer the phone to see who it was. Yeah. Craziness, I know. <laughs> Let it go to voicemail. There was no voicemail. You had to get a little machine <laughs> that would answer your phone for you with a recorded message that you made. Welcome to the Stone Age. <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I've, I've, I've learned to hear his voice. And here's what I'm saying. For, for over 20 years, I have learned to hear the voice of my Heavenly Father. You, you have to learn to hear it. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. That tells me he's given me the hardware to hear him. He's given me everything I need to hear him. He speaks spirit to spirit. He's made my spirit alive. But I have to learn to hear him. I have to spend time with him. And listen to me, listen. I can teach you to hear God. Our staff can teach you to hear God. Your life group leader can probably teach you to hear God. But listen to me. But what we can't do is have a personal relationship with him for you. You can't delegate your relationship with God to your husband, to your wife, to your mother, to your grandmother. Oh, I'm a Christian because granny was a Christian. It's not hereditary. Amen. It's not genetically passed on. You have to have your own relationship with God. You have to spend time with him and learn to hear him. He's given you everything you need. Now, now if you're saying, well, I don't know how to do this, then, then good news. I'm going to teach you how to hear God in like five minutes. Okay? Now, I can teach you how, but I can't go have a personal relationship with God for you, right? So if you want to learn to discern his voice, you have to deepen your relationship with him. Are you with me? So here's some keys, four keys to hearing God. You can write these down. And I made them as simple as I could. Number one is set a time. Set a time. Well, that's set a time. Yeah, set a time. Listen, you make appointments to meet with people you don't even like about things you don't want to do. Set a time. The creator of the universe will meet with you. In, in Exodus 19, God says, he tells Israel, in three days I'm coming to the mountain. Here's what he said, I've made an appointment with you. Now the problem was Israel wanted to delegate their relationship with God because they told Moses, you go hear God and tell, him, tell us what he says, but we're not going to listen. Right? It's just what we're talking about. But set, listen, set a time. And let me challenge you because I know what Christians do. We think about praying as we're driving to work after we finally got the kids off to school or whatever, and we pray going down the road. Now, listen to me. That's wonderful. I don't want you to stop praying going down the road. 
probably helps your driving. <laughs> By the way, I was on interstate the other day. Just so we're clear, the left lane is for people who want to pass. Just so we're really clear on that. We don't care if you drive slow, but could you do that in the right-hand lane? Because you're squeezing our fruit of the Spirit. Because I was driving and I could just feel love and patience and joy being squeezed right out of my life. I want you to drive in your, I want you to pray in your car. I want you to pray in your car. I want you to pray in your car, but listen to me. Psalm 43 says, be still and know that I am God. If you want to know he's God, you have to be still before him. And I want you to set a time to be still and know that he is God. So set a time. Here's the second thing. Set your heart. This, I, you do this through worship, right? You do this through worship. Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Do this through worship. Worship God. And you say, well, I don't have a band. Believe it or not, worship doesn't, doesn't require words on a screen. It requires love in your heart. Worship is love expressed. You don't need words to worship. You don't need a song to worship. I have made up the most interesting worship songs in my time with God. And I'm going to tell you, he thinks they're all hits. He likes every one of them. But all he had to, how do you feel about God? God, you're good. God, you saved me. God, you redeemed me, right? Singing is no different than talking. Just listen to Buddy the Elf. You just make your voice go up and down while you're doing it, right? I'm in my quiet time and I'm singing. God, you are good. And I love you, I love you, I love you. You know what I mean? Honestly. Honestly, it's that simple. But it, it's, it, it gets your heart connected with God's heart, with his, with his presence. And then you set your ear and you say, well, how do you do this? Well, I read and I pray. I read and I pray. And, and I said, people, they get stuck here. And I think it's attacked of the enemy. Let me help you. Because you say, well, where do I read? And let me tell you something. I'll tell you where. Somewhere between this cover and this cover. <laughs> read. I mean, you know, honestly, you just read. And I don't have a reading plan. You don't need one. If you want to read the Bible through in a year, you, you read 3.2 chapters a day, literally. That's the math. It's 1,189 chapters. If you read three to four chapters a day, you'll read it through in a year. And if that's your goal, great. But you know what you can do? You can go to a proverb and say, well, today's the fifth, so I'm going to go. I did this this morning. Fifth proverb. I usually read a proverb every day. Read the fifth proverb. I read it because today's the fifth. And that always gives me a place where I don't have to wonder where I'm going to start. Now to me, I, I like the Bible plans where you do a Psalm and a Proverbs, some Old Testament, New Testament. It's like a buffet and I'm a grazer. Those are good. But a lot of times I like to study a word, a, a particular book at a time because I like to find out the context, the history and everything that's going on. And so when I do that, again, I just know if I just read three to four chapters a day and work through all the books of the Bible this year, I'll read the whole thing. So I, so I know that. So just read it. Right? And then pray. And you say, well, I don't know what to pray. Let me help you. Here's the secret of prayer. Pray what's ever on your heart. Here's why. Because you'll never pray something else till you deal with the burden that's on your heart. If you're worried about your kids, pray about your kids. If you're worried about your husband, pray about your husband. If you're worried about your wife, pray about, worried about business, pray about business. If you're worried about me, pray about me. In fact, if you could worry about me every day, that would be wonderful. But pray whatever your burden is. Are you with me? And so here's how I pray. I start with whatever's on my heart. And, I, and because the Bible says we cast our care, we bring our burden to the Lord, right? I start with what's on my heart because I see it as in the way. Now, what's it in the way of? Because after I prayed what's on my heart, I pray whatever's on his heart. Because I'll say, God, what's on your heart? Now, now that we've talked about what I couldn't get past, what's on your heart today? And sometimes he'll say, I need you to pray for this person. I'm concerned about them. I need you to pray for, you know, sometimes pray for your staff today. Pray for this pastor today. Pray for this country today. Pray for the president today. There's things that's on God's heart. And after I got my heart out of the way, we'll pray about what's on his heart. Right? 
So set your ear. Now we're talking about hearing God to me. Here's the key. Then set your hand. See, when I'm reading God's word and I'm praying, I'm tuning in. When I'm worshiping, I'm tuning in. I'm getting my place, self in a place where I can hear God. But now, see, a lot of people will stop here. But when you stop here, you've made God Chick-fil-A. And you've driven through and told him what's on your heart and then just want him to say, my pleasure. But now I want to hear him. It's a relationship. I want him to talk. So I do this just about every day. I have a, I do it digitally now and, and I use Evernote, but I have a pen where I can write on my iPad and, and, I'll, and I'll set my hand. And here's what you do. If you want to hear God, let me give you this. Start writing. Now what do I write? Write your prayer. You can even write this. God, I really want to hear you today. I really don't know what to do about this. God, this is on my heart. That doesn't bother me. Or God, your word said this. Just start writing. And you'll listen. When you, something about, I don't know why, but I can just tell you this. I'll start doing that. And then all of a sudden, I'll start hearing God say, Marty, I'm with you. I'm going to uphold you today by my righteous right arm. I'm your shield. I'm your strength. I'm your buckler. I'm your glory. I'm the lifter of your head. I have gone before you into this meeting. And in the moment, you'll know what to say. Now, most of that is his word that's in me, but his spirit brings it out of me. And he makes it known to me by the writing of my hand. Now, here's a verse for this. If you think I'm crazy, this is David. First Chronicles 28, 19. David said, all of this, what was it? It was plans for the temple. All of this, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me. Now, who wrote it? David. David wrote by God's hand on him. And he said, all the works of these plans. Here's what David said. When I got into his presence and I started writing, God actually took over and God spoke to me through my own hand. And I'm telling you, God can do it for you. It's going to take time. Set your, set your, set your time, set your heart, set your ear, set your hand. Amen. Can you receive that as God's word today? Why don't you stand with me and